summer camp, family camp this year, and second to the fifth is the camp. But not everybody can get leave for fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. That's a, that's a lot of leave to take. So we have, we've been telling people over and over again, and I don't think they're getting this, that you can take one day leave, you can take two days leave, or you can take all the leaves. You can come on Saturday and Sunday and one more day. So come for three days, or come for four days. So many families are doing that. They're coming for three days, they're coming for four days. Some are coming only for two days. But even one day will make a huge difference. Of course, coming all the way to Mosuri for one day is a little bit of a stretch. But even two days or three days will make a huge difference in just being able to bond and spend time. You know, even if you have to come all the way just to talk about the food, you know, at least you get to talk, you get to bond. So seriously consider this because I know that people make decisions based on their feelings and you don't know how to feel about camp because you don't know how it, uh, comfortable it is, what the, you know, what the accommodation is like because all of you are, uh, are used to you know, Hilton. <laughs> you know, so I understand that. I, I, I feel for you. But it's great. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. And then the families will be with us for two or three days and then maybe they'll go back and the youth will be with us for the rest of the time and we're going to intensify this discipleship. <coughs> so come to camp. Click on the link. Register yourself. Give the money. Do something to it. Candice will be outside. Just tell her you're coming for three days. You're coming for one day. Whatever it is. Don't worry about uh, And if you don't have money, then you could pay later, right, right after camp, not like next year. But uh, but don't worry, don't let that be a hindrance either. Okay, so we're a family, we want to go up to camp. So make sure you at least tell Candace or get your questions answered so that I can I can feel that you've at least considered it. Uh, we're, we're getting full, by the way. Okay, there's about 90 places, 90 beds, and we're already 65. So we're already getting full, so, so you know, yeah. I don't know how to sell this one. Yeah, you're gonna miss some. You're gonna miss a good uh, opportunity if you don't go. After the service, I'm meeting for with a few people to do the membership or the understanding or introduction to CL class. Uh, get what Covenant's life is all about and where we headed, the whole family thing. And if you feel that you can stay back for a for an hour and a half right after lunch, then please do that. You can walk in for our class this afternoon, and I'll take that class uh, right after. And join us for lunch, you know. It's more expensive outside the bottom now. <laughs> you don't seem to understand the importance of this. It is more expensive outside. You have to look for parking. You have to, you know, you have to give the order. They get the wrong order, and then, then you have to ignore the other church people who also come to the restaurant. You know, because then you have to either sit with them or pay for them. So it's just, it's just walk into the cafeteria. It's a hundred rupees or something. And I, from today onwards, it's free. From today onwards, it's, I didn't make that up just now. I, we actually thought about that. I just remembered it now. But from today onwards, lunch is free, and some certain generous people will will foot lunch. In fact, today one family is taking care of lunch. Uh, so, so stay back and eat and uh, fellowship with us. Uh, you, we know you eat. <laughs> don't don't try to hide it. I don't. <laughs> we had a lovely baptism yesterday. It was, uh, it was a cozy, small, uh, very, very beautiful time, and sunny, and uh, Angela and Jevon, three of them, obeyed the Lord in the waters of baptism, and they declared their faith openly in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was a lovely time. So I continue to pray for their faith to grow. Uh, so sunny and Angela will also be getting married on the 26th of this month. Jevon will not. <laughs> I'm working on 
he's working on it, trust me. I think I've pretty covered there, so we're a membership class, and 201, don't forget to meet. I've asked a few couples to meet me regarding a marriage enrichment session, so, so we got some really great video material. So we're getting a few couples together to kind of strengthen you guys. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, speak to us. Uh, I, I ask you to remove your instrument, your messenger, just enough so that people hear it directly from you. Yet, Father God, you uh, anoint your instrument so that uh, he is faithful to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. People are our greatest asset. People are our greatest asset. Dealing with people and developing relationships are life's greatest work. You think studying chemistry or studying engineering or studying biology is life's greatest accomplishment. No, dealing with the people who teach you biology is the greatest uh, accomplishment. Dealing with people at home, wherever you go there are people, unless you live off another planet. Wherever you go there are people and people are the ones you have to be okay with in order for life to be okay. When you've had a bad day, it's not because of the dust storm. It's not because of the economic crunch. It's because somebody stepped on your toes. You know, or somebody didn't allow you to step on their <laughs> toes. We know it swings both ways. Okay? It is people. People are our greatest asset. Most of life's pain, most of life's hurts, hang-ups, hardships, are because of people. People cause that. Not walls, not money, not situations, not transport. People cause that. When I talk to people, and I've done a lot of talking, for the most part, the challenge is how do I deal with an uncooperative, unreasonable boss? How do I deal with an unreasonable colleague? How do I work around that committee? How do I work around that, that team? Why is it that I have to struggle with these particular people? I don't like my job because uh, uh, uh. I don't like my workplace because uh, uh, uh. It's people. It's people. Somebody's asking, how do I not lose it with my two-year-old? How do I not lose it with my children? How do I not lose it with my 16-year-old? How do you get through the day without yelling and screaming? They drive me nuts. <coughs> Why can't I get through the day without feeling like dirt for the way I behaved? You know, first they get to you, then you release an anointing on them, <laughs> yes? And then you feel like dirt for the rest of them. Okay? Either we feel bad for the way we spoke to our older people, our parents, or we feel bad for the way we spoke to our children, and we go to sleep thinking, oh, I'll only a little more control over me. A little bit more over me. Why do people work so hard to bring out the worst in me? It's like as if they started out their day to see how can we get generated absolutely why do people work so hard to bring out the worst? Actually speaking, I'm quite nice. It's these people. If you actually knew me for who's me, me, I'm very nice. And if it wasn't for them, and then you think, you know, you, you say godly people should be able to handle their emotions. Yes, no, hallelujah. Godly people should be able to handle their emotions. They should be able to respond like Jesus. Stay calm. When people are driving them mad, stay calm. Keep the peace. Godly people should be able to hang on. They should be able to hold on. They should be able to stay calm. But how? How do they do it? Do they have some special connection with God? 
Do they pray seven times a day? Do they eat some herbs? How do they do it? The problem isn't that we know or not know this. The problem is how, how do you, how? Are you with me? Here we go. Love, godly love, I hope you're listening, is not the way to behave. Godly love is not a way to behave. Godly love is not a way to respond. It's not an example to follow. You say, I must be loving, so I try to be loving. I must be more loving. I try to be loving. I work it. I move it. I try it. I copy it. I, I, I try to apply it. And you're trying and trying and trying. And you get frustrated. And the reason you get frustrated is because it is not a way to behave. It's not a way of behavior. Love is not a behavior. Love is not a way of doing things, of living life. It is not an example to follow. <coughs> love is a character of God, not the character of God, a character of God. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. And this is it. This, you get this, life will change for you. Love is not a way to behave. Love is not an example to follow. Love is a character of God. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, when you have love, you are uh, 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 this, that, and the other. When you have love. So you can have love. And you say love is God. God, sorry, God is love. Love is a characteristic of God. So to have love is to have God in you and God in you is God's love in you and that love does something that is independent of you. In fact, it overcomes you so that there's less me and more Jesus. Wait, we haven't got it yet. We'll, we'll get to it. Love, Godly love, is not a way to behave or an example to follow. It is the character of God that is placed in you and that character goes to work to dominate my character. That behavior goes to work to dominate my behavior. It is something that God bears through my life. It is not something I do. So when I am loving, I am being Godly. When I am being Godly, I am being loving. And at that time, Jerry is actually dying. Jerry is not being loving. God is, are you getting this? God is being loving through Jerry. Jerry is not being loving. In his natural, he would never love. He is self-centered. He is self-preservative. He is, he only looks after himself. Love is not, uh, uh, uh. Love is not Jerry. I'm Jerry, by the way. I changed my name from last week. It was Jeremy last week. Are you getting this? It will miss you. It will give you so much confidence. It will get you on top of yourself. It will help you to overcome yourself. How does this work? When you have God, you have love. How does it work? And so what that it works? Let's get into the scriptures. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver, de deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I say nothing, I have nothing, and I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable and resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As far as prophecies are concerned, they will pass away. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. For what we know in part, we prophesy in part. When the perfect tongues and partial will be done with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but face to face. When I see him, now I know in part, then I should know him fully, even as I have been known, together with me. So, now, faith, together with me. So, now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. we got two more to go, this one and the next one. Next one's sermon is about love gives you grit. Love gives you grit. It gives you ability to push through the most toughest of situations and work through valley experiences. It gives you propulsion. Uh, Paul says the love of Christ compels me. And we're going to talk about that compulsion next week. Love gives you grit. Today I'm looking at the concept of what it means to change our behavior. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's the only two positives in that list. Everything else is negative. Love is not. 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 But there's only two positives. So this is not a set of rules and, and, and regulations. This is an ability to understand how love operates. This is not talking about you operation. Chill. Relax. This is not talking about how you operate. This is talking about how love operates. And when you hear, oh, uh, iPhone works on an iOS, I want an iOS in my system. Okay? When you realize that the operating system is what makes this happen, you say, I want that operating system. So you put yourself to self, put aside the self, and you take on Christ. And Christ becomes the operating system of your life. Then love is boom, 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 boom. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? You don't have to do it. It just grows. Because if you plant orange trees, what do you expect? Are you with me? You plant Christ, you're going to get love. Love's going to flow through you. Love's going to be your best reaction. And the title of this song, this morning's sermon, is just that. Love fuels my best response. Love fuels my best response. You find yourself giving your best response to people because love is active in your life. Love is patient and love is kind. What are these are not two separate things, but they are actually a way of thinking. Love is patient. That's the way I think. I think, that's the way I feel, I feel. And the way I think and the way I feel will lead to the way I act, I repeat. The way I think and the way I feel will lead to the way I act. That's why your belief changes to behavior. You need to change your belief in order to change your behavior. People try to change their behavior without changing their belief. It's external working inside out and you never ever accomplish it. That's why they can lose weight and put the weight back on again. That's why they can give up a habit and give, get the habit back again. That's why they can give up stress and they go back to stressing again. Why? Because they monopolized or, or, or they manipulated their external, their behavior. Belief has got to change. Love is patient. Love is kind. Because love is patient, love is kind. Love is the way you think and feel. Love is the way you act. That is kind. So he goes on to break that up. He says, love is, does not envy, that's the way you think and feel, or boast, that's the way you act. Love is not arrogant, that's the way you feel, or rude, that's the way you act. Love is not, does not insist on its own way, that's the way you feel. Love is not irritable, that's the way you feel, or resentful, that's the way you act. Are you getting the picture here? Are you getting the picture here? So love is patient, and love is kind. If you can think and feel love, 
you will act loving. Because you think wrong, you act wrong. Don't change your actions, change your thinking. That change, that turnaround, that 180 is called repentance. How often should a believer repent? Every day, every hour. It is a lifestyle of turning around, not around and around. But it's a lifestyle of turning around. around. Love bears all things, believes all things. So he says, if you have love, Paul says, if you have love, Paul says, yeah, if you have love, so it's a concept of having something. I want us to really go home with this. I want us to really get this. So that you pursue your life not trying to behave in a certain way, but trying to get a certain something. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? When you're trying to get a certain something, you know that that something has these benefits. If I get this insurance policy, this insurance policy has these benefits. But if I get Christ, if I get more and more of Christ, less and less of me, then this life, this, uh, this Christ gives me these benefits. This character will flow out of me. So Paul says to the Galatian church, he says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? It means get more of Christ. It means get more of Christ. If I walk by the Spirit, if I, if I uh, uh, adopt more of the way of the Spirit, if I go live according to the leading of the Spirit, if I look more, listen more to the voice of the Spirit of God rather than the voices of the world, if I'm leading more towards the wisdom of God than the wisdom of the world, if I walk by the Spirit. What's going to happen if I walk by the Spirit? And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we get an understanding that to walk by the Spirit will give me the results I'm looking for. But if I try to not gratify the desires of the flesh, neither am I spiritual nor am I fleshly, and I lose on both ways, I get even more irritable, I get even feel even more ripped off, and I don't love God. Did you get that? Did you get that? Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. People are ready to sleep with anybody just so that they like him. People are ready to sleep with anybody because they think they like them. Impurities. That is a contamination of the way we think. Sensuality. Where everything we say and do has a sensual tone to it. It's sexy. It's got to be sexy. Idolatry, where something becomes more important than anything else. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, ri rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that these, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but, there's two buts here, one in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And the second but is, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. You don't even have to finish the verse, we can stop right there. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, go back to verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What are the desires of the flesh? Or rather, what is the fruit of the flesh? The fruit of the flesh is all of these things that we just listed. Envy, debauchery, drunkenness, rivalries, fits of anger. That's the fruit of the flesh. You don't even have to try to do that. It just came out. In the same way, you get that. You know, you, get, you have to say, I don't know why I did that. It just came out. I, I, I wasn't, that's not, I didn't plan. It just came out. You been there? Well, 
is? I don't know. I was so happy. It just came out. I don't know. I was so patient. I don't know how I got through that, that situation. I don't know how I got through that rough storm experience. I don't know how I was able to handle that kind of opposition or criticism. It just came out. That's how it works. That's how it works. So we think the flesh is something we don't know ourselves, but spiritual life is something we work it up, work it up, work it up. You're trying to be godly. Uh-uh. That's why you're so frustrated. That's why we give up. That's why we run away from God. Because you're saying, you're too hard. This doesn't work for me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no... Have you wondered why he put that statement there? Against such things, there is no law. Why law? What has law got to do with anything? I'll tell you. The principle of law demands the unnatural. The principle of law demands the unnatural. The principle of love demonstrates the supernatural. Because it is not natural to you to love your wife, the Bible says to you, love your wife. Because it is not natural to you to bear one another, the Bible says to you, bear one another. So the demand of the law, the principle of law, demands an unnatural response. It is not in your nature to love your wife or to respect your husband or to bear with your children or to be patient with your colleagues. It is not natural. Therefore, there is a law that makes you, it is a law that demands the unnatural. But the law, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. And against these, there is no Law, because it is not a demand of the unnatural, it is a demonstration of the supernatural. I said, Jeremy, you're just so patient. There you go, it's a demonstration of God in me. Jeremy, you have been so kind, so generous, but that's not me. It's a demonstration. And what is worship? A worship is every Sunday, every day, telling people and telling God how much you've seen God go to work in you. Giving credit for God in you, Christ in you. Giving credit and giving praise that the more and more every day there's more of Jesus. Lord, you gave me strength to work with that situation. Lord, you gave me uh, patience with that. Lord, you gave me uh, softness to deal with that difficult person. And that is from you. And I worship you because you are. And the more you worship, the more Christ is formed in you. And the more Christ is formed in you, it just comes out. It just comes out. Love is patient, love is kind. So let me take you through four things. Number one, love does not feel envy or speak boastfully. Remember, feel, think, think, feel, act. Think, feel, act. Love does not feel envy or speak boastfully. We envy, we envy because we believe that someone has not been just to us. That's why we envy. He got one car. I got a scooter. He got admissions. I got submissions. And I feel that somebody up there has not been fair. Because others seem to have what I want. And then I envy. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking not about what we have, but somebody out there is thinking more about them than me. Somebody loves them more than me. Somebody's giving them more attention than me. 
It is a feeling of insignificance. It's a feeling of desire to be loved by somebody bigger, stronger. There has been an unequal division of resources and I deserve more or others deserve less. When I feel short change, when I feel less fortunate, I boast. So I make up for that by saying, oh, what do you, do you got a car? You know what I got? And I, and I boast. I boast. My actions cover up for my sense of insignificance because I feel that he got more than me. So I try to tell everybody else, hey, maybe he maybe has a car. I have two houses. <laughs> maybe he has a girl. I have no. <laughs> you got it? Boasting is not just on its own. It comes because of something else. It is, a, it is an action that comes out of a thinking and a feeling. So when you behave in a bad way, you need to stop and say, what am I thinking that allowed me or made me behave in that way? Did you get that? What am I thinking then? You could say, oh no, I'll never do that again. That's great. But your thinking hasn't changed. You still feel insignificant. You still feel unloved. You still feel like somebody is not being just with you. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 14, 30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. <coughs> envy makes the bones rot. <coughs> it is not good for you to maintain envy. So you need to change your thinking. God doesn't envy because he owns everything. He doesn't envy. You know why does God not? You know why God doesn't envy? He doesn't need to. You know why we envy? Because we need to. Because he owns everything, he has power, his will is accomplished. No weapon formed against him will prosper. Now, God's power and character comes through the believer. God's power and character comes through the believer with this confidence that he owns everything. Did you get that? Why does, a, why does a person feel envious? Because he feels injustice has been done. He got more than me. I don't have more, I should deserve more, but he got more than me. But that's a mentality of a human being. Okay, God, God doesn't feel envy because he owns everything. Nobody has more than he does. Okay, and he can create out of something. Okay, so God comes through the believer with that mentality that no matter what you don't have, I can create out of nothing. I can get you out of nothing. I can make a way in the desert. I can make a way out of nothing. Where there is no solution, I can come up with a thousand solutions. There is no situation where resources will fail me. That confidence comes through the believer, and the believer is like, you can have as many cars as you want. I got God. <coughs> that flows, that character of God flows to you. They act towards, and, and it acts towards people in your life. And because you are like that, you don't feel envy. You don't need to feel envy. His love is what works through you. Listen to this, listen to this. This flow of God's character that acts towards people in your life as they provoke you, as they provoke you, is His love. His love flows you. Somebody's provoking you, His love flows through you, and He fills you with the right thinking, right feeling, and therefore you act in a correct way. It is the fruit of the Spirit in you, working through you. He shields you. He protects your peace. He protects your joy. He secures your confidence. He dissolves your fears. All in that one moment when that person is irritating you, and suddenly you stand and you relax. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. No, but sir, I'm really sorry. I was not able to. Yeah, that's okay. And you're like, where does he get his confidence from? Does he have somebody else working for him? Does he, does he have another solution up his sleeve? <coughs> it's 
changes, it protects you. It protects your peace. I hope you learned all of that. It protects your joy. You don't lose your joy because your kids acted up. You don't lose your peace because your subordinates didn't handle their projects in time. He dissolves your fears. He secures your confidence. And the offending party receives the most gracious response from you. God fuels your best response. God fuels your best response. Number two, God loves, or sorry, sorry, love does not feel privileged or think privileged or speak down to others. God does not feel privileged or speak down to others. Are you with me? We are arrogant because we have an innate will to survive at the cost of others. I hope you're listening. Fear informs me Somebody will take what you have. Somebody's running faster than you. Don't sleep work. Somebody is getting ahead of you. Don't look that way. Somebody will take your attention. Hold on to that. Somebody's got it all. A plan on it. Fear informs you. Fear informs you. People are out to trample you. People are out to take what you have. So by nature, we find ways to work ourselves up to the top of the chain. We want to keep everybody down. Keep everybody, We want to be on top of things. Okay, fine. And how do we express this? How do we express the fact that I need to be on top, everybody else needs to be on the bottom, just to show and feel that I'm, I need to feel that I'm ahead, I need to think that I'm ahead, that how do I show it? Rudeness. Rudeness. Love does not feel privileged and speak down to others. When you feel privileged, when you think of yourself as more privileged than everybody else, when you think of yourself as more deserving than anybody else, you are rude to others. Because you are saying to them, if you don't treat me the way I feel I should be treated, then I am going to be rude to you. You are not going to get the nice meal. Okay, let's work this now. Are you working with me? If you don't treat me the way you should, if you don't deliver the way I demand, if you don't cooperate with my way, here's what's going to happen. Love is patient, love is kind. That's God. You're not going to get God. You're going to get me. So if you don't work with me, you don't get God, you get me. And that's why people are rude. People who are rude in their tone of voice, people who are rude in their relationships, people who are rude in their dealings are basically insecure people who don't understand how loved they are. And deep down inside, they're trying to compensate for that by putting themselves on top of everybody else. And the problem with on top of everything else is we are made of sand. And when you get to the top, sooner or later you'll go right to the bottom. And you'll just keep on doing that until kingdom come. It's a very tiring experience trying to get on top of things. All because your thinking is wrong. This is expressed our rudeness, this is expressed in our rudeness towards the way people behave, towards the way people are. The scripture says, love is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant and it is not rude. 
In fact, the scripture of Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Esteem others higher than yourself. Esteem others higher than yourself. You know, God isn't arrogant. You know, of, course, of course God is not arrogant. How can you say it? Yeah, God isn't arrogant. But do you know why he's not arrogant? He doesn't need to be. He knows his position. He isn't threatened by anyone. Every time a mosquito goes past me or a wasp goes past me, I freak out. And I say to myself, here am I, six feet tall fellow. You know? And a wasp went past me. He's got his own agenda. He's just enjoying the morning breeze just like me. He didn't, he didn't even know I was there. He thought I was a mountain or something. <laughs> and he just passes by and I'm, I'm falling apart. God isn't arrogant because he doesn't need to be. He knows his position. He isn't threatened. His existence is eternal. And he's above all. And no one comes close to his above all. Get that? He's above all. And the distance between him and the lowest of the above alls here on earth is huge. So here's this. Scripture says God deals gently with us. He remembers that we are dust. He is kind and compassionate to us. God feels no compulsion to project his godness on us. He feels no compulsion to project his deity on us. Do you know I'm God or God? Don't you know I'm God? Eh? God never does that. He doesn't need to. So if you need to, if you need to project yourself, if you need to get on top of everybody, if you need to be arrogant, if you need to be boastful, There's a deeper problem. It's a thinking problem. Your behavior is just a, uh, it's just an indicative indication of your thinking. Am I putting you down? No, I'm putting God up. And I'm saying, if you walk by the Spirit, God feels no compulsion to project His Godness. As arrogant people feel to need to project themselves by their rudeness. So I feel that if I'm rude to you, you will cooperate. I can control you. And I can assert by the way I talk to you who's on top and who's beneath. Isn't that true of our culture? Isn't it true of our culture? When the waiter comes to serve at the table, when the boy comes into the office and you're sitting and you're meeting a friend, he's a big boss of some stupid company and he's sitting there and the boy comes in and the tone suddenly changes in India more than any other country the tone suddenly changes and they speak to them asserting their position why why do you have to do that why can't God who is not threatened by position or anything he is loving and compassionate he remembers that we are dust and he, why does he why is he able to do that because he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to be arrogant. Why do we need to do that? Because we need to. We need to feel on top. And that feeling is the problem. That thinking is our problem. This series is entitled Overcoming Me. Getting on top of me. And what, and what that simply means is I understand how I think, how I feel, and therefore how I act. Say it with me. How I think, how I feel, and therefore how I Act. 
The more I think like Jesus, the more I feel like Jesus, the more I act like Jesus. I don't start to act like Jesus. I'm going to get frustrated and I'm going to give up on my faith. But the more I think like Jesus, have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. That brings me to the end of my second point and the end of our time. To be continued. Would you take a moment just to be quiet? Because this is not a condemnation message. In fact, I'm releasing you from this. I'm releasing you from thinking that you are like that. Because people say, you're such a food person. You're an insecure person. You're such an arrogant person. No. You're just someone who doesn't know how special you are. And when God calls you, He doesn't slap you in the face for your behavior. He embraces you to reconstruct your thinking. To reorganize your thinking. And as He brings you close to Himself, and as He embraces you, and you open the Bible, and every morning you open the Word, and you say, Lord, reconstruct my thinking. Lord, tell me where... What am I feeling that is not in line with your feelings? And when you begin with that, every morning you say, Lord, speak to me. And the word of God begins to change your thinking. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as you renew your mind, as he renews your mind, as the word renews your mind, because your thinking changes, you begin to feel differently. You don't feel that you are unloved. You don't feel that you are insecure. You don't feel that you are insignificant. And we'll talk about that more next week. But you don't feel all those things. And as you don't feel all those things, you don't need to act all those things. You find love just working itself out. And then you are testimony you are witness to the fact that love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not resentful or rude or boastful or arrogant. Love does not insist on its own. Are you getting this? You are testimony as you see the fruit growing. You say, wow, oranges, wow, apples. All because, let me close with this. Remember, it's about belief, right? <clears throat> and remember, God wants to change your faith, reestablish your faith. And your faith's primary axis is your identity. Are you working with me? I'm about to finish. So as you stand there, and oranges keep coming out, and oranges keep coming out, and oranges keep coming out, what do you begin to believe about yourself? This is not deep science. Just, just work with me. What do you begin to believe about yourself? That you are an orange? No, the tree doesn't become an orange. The tree. <laughs> you begin to believe that you are an orange? Let's work this through again. You begin to see oranges coming out, and oranges coming out, and oranges coming out, and then you begin to believe that you are a orange. You're an orange. Your belief is now based on what you see happen and come through your life. 
And as you stand close to Christ, you really stay close to Christ, and you let Christ overcome you, and you are, He overcomes you, overcoming me, and He, there's more of Him, and love flows, and patience flows, and you become testimony to this, you become witness to this, you then begin to believe that you are a good person, that you are a godly person, that you are a Christ-like person. Are you getting that? You don't believe that first and then push the love out and force the patience out. You see the fruit fair. And you say, I must be an orange tree. But if you're constantly rude and you're constantly losing it and you're constantly falling apart and people say, you're so rude, you're so arrogant, you're so lazy, you're... you see that falling out of you, you begin to tell yourself, that's probably what I am. And that perpetuates that behavior. 